Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to the first film club. I'm Natalie Louise. And I'm Hannah Flint. And this is a podcast series dedicated to established and emerging talent from the film industry and the first feature that launched their careers. We started the first film club back in 2018 as a Q&A event series. We've been able to hear from some of the most celebrated directors as they reflect on their feature film debuts in cinemas across London. Now Hannah and I are excited to expand the format to include talent both in front of and behind the camera. Each episode is dedicated to a film, a guest, and their behind-the-scenes stories, memories, and advice from their time on set. Hannah will set the scene. Award-winning casting director Carmel Cochrane has a reputation for championing new and diverse talents across film and television. As one of the few British women of colour leading in the profession, her knack for finding the perfect cast has been utilised on a small screen in BAFTA winning The End of the Fucking World, Sky One's Intergalactic and the Jodie Turner-Smith-led Anne Boleyn miniseries. In film, she's worked on John Wick, Chapter 4, St Maud and with Robert Eggers on all three of his feature films, The Witch, The Lighthouse and the upcoming The Northman. Beginning in shorts and music videos, Carmel's first feature credit as casting director was on British-Cambonian director Hong Kao's debut feature, Lilting. Can I help? Yeah, I'm looking for a Miss Jun Tan. Hello, Jun. How do you know Jun? I'm a friend of her son's. I'm sorry. He was my life. You said you can still smell Kai in your room. Me too. I smell him too. The 2014 film tells the story of a bereaved Cambodian Chinese mother coming to terms with the untimely loss of her son as his English lover attempts to connect with her through their shared grief with the help of a translator. Starring Ben Whishaw, Cheng Pei-Pei, Andrew Lung, Naomi Yang, Peter Bowles and Morvan Christie, Carmel talks to me about bringing that cast together with the director. Carmel, welcome to the first film club. It's great to have you here. Hello, good to be here. Here is, um, I'm in my flat, you're in your house. Here is a kind of a place that we've created. There's no actual location for the film club, but you're part of it. 
We could be together. I know. Actually, we should have just kept that little bit secret, should we? We actually we are together. We are together in conversation um, about your first film. But, you know, I, I have never properly interviewed a casting director before. So this is really exciting for me because there's so much stuff that I don't, you know, you think you know, and you look at people's roles, but you don't really know what's the ins and outs of it. And um, you have done so many impressive films, TV shows. Your first feature film was the 2014 film Lilting. And that cast is amazing. But, you know, it wasn't something you just started. It wasn't, you'd done several things before. You did short films and music videos. And as I said, prior to us coming on this, uh, the shoes, Time to Dance video, which has blown my mind because it's Jake Gyllenhaal. And for listeners who don't follow me on Twitter or Instagram or the Fade to Black podcast, I'm obsessed with this man. (laughs) So can you just briefly tell me how that happened though? Because I need to know. That was just completely by accident. A a friend of mine called and said, you know, I'm working on this music video with Daniel Wolf. You'd be so good at doing this. Do you want to do it? And they already had another casting director on board, Leanne Flynn, who has become one of my best friends. And she was doing it. Um, They asked me to come on. And it was my first experience of kind of working alongside someone as well. I was so, and I was not nice to her. I was really kind of, just let me do it. And <laughs> and I think what's great about that experience is that I learned how not to be. <laughs> and I remember we auditioned James Jagger and her messaging me and saying, you know, what, how will I know who he is? Because they were meeting him in a pub. And I sent her like a snarky reply and was like, just Google him. (laughs) And then just realised that that's not the kind of woman that I wanted to be. I really wanted to. It it just came out of my insecurity of being on this massive job. And actually it was so much fun. And in the end, we ended up becoming really good friends and we talk every day. But casting it, I can't remember how Jake, I think Jake had written to Daniel and wanted to collaborate with him. And that was a prime example of like faking it till you make it. I remember the producer calling me and saying like, oh, do we need a visa? And I was like, no, we don't need a visa. (laughs) I was like, I don't know. (laughs) And they flew him and it was, I remember it snowed and it was just the most, I went to set and it was just the most amazing experience ever. I, I watched that video so many times. And I also have still have that song <laughs> on my running playlist. <laughs> I think that that was the first moment where I thought, okay, well, because when I'd worked for someone for years and I kind of just didn't want to do film, I just didn't want to make average stuff or be part of stuff that I wasn't really interested in. And doing that music video, I, it was, you know, casting a bunch of my friends. I don't think Twigs was in that video, but we, she was a dancer. And someone who we cast a lot. So it was just casting, you know, our favourite people. Actually, no, I think we asked Twigs to be in it. And her agent at the time messaged and said, no, she's concentrating on her music. And we were like, oh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> FKA Twigs for people who... Yeah. FKA Twigs, who uh, used to be a dancer at the box, which right. I frequent a lot. So there we go. So let's talk about Lilting. When did you get on board in it? And how did you get introduced to Hong Kao? So it was 2011 when I started my business. And I had a really, I still have a dear friend of mine called Afo Kuti. And he had organized a trip. I think there were about 10 of us to go and see One Man, Two Governors in the mm. theatre. And one of the people at the theatre was um, Dominic Buchanan. And we'd never met before. I didn't really know anything about him. And he said that he'd 
I think we briefly spoke before going in and he said he'd just worked on this film called Give Me the Loop. So I got his email address from like our group chat <laughs> and asked if I could be sent a link to his film. And he was like, no, you can watch it and pay for it when it comes out. <laughs> and I was like, okay, yeah, cool, fine. And then I think they had a casting director on board and that person pulled out or couldn't do it anymore for whatever reason. And um, Afro reminded Dominic and said, you know, what about Carmel? You should meet her. And so we met at Soho House and I am really bad with names. So I couldn't remember the characters' names and I kept calling the lead Richard or Ben or something that it wasn't. <laughs> and um, I remember walking home from Soho and I kind of got to my front door and said to my boyfriend, oh yeah, blew that, that was awful. And then five minutes later, Dom called me back. He must have been desperate. He called me back and was like, yeah, we'd love you to do it. <laughs> and I remember being like, what? And then just completely panicking. And I'd, you know, worked on films before, but never on my own. And so, um, yeah, it was just a crazy ride of having to do my own deal and not really knowing how much I should be getting paid, but weirdly grateful that I was getting paid. Mm. So you were working with someone else before. So like kind of what was that experience? And I, I suppose just interestingly enough, like why did you want to get into this aspect of film? I didn't. I was a complete, I just got into it by accident. I knew somebody who was a director years, years, years before when I was like 17. And um, he paid me 50 quid to go and do some street casting. And I was like, oh my God, this is so much money. And I was living in White City at the time. So I just went downstairs and asked all these kids to, if I could take their photo and kind of labeled the photos with, it. and this was when people didn't have mobiles, this was landline. <laughs> and so labeled the photos and he'd asked for six photos, but I it was just like six photos for 50 quid. That's ridiculous. So I gave him like maybe 30 or 40. And uh, he said, oh, you'd make a really good casting director. I don't think he's directing anymore, but he was just a really good person of like connecting people, but had gone to Harrow. And so I just kind of never really took him seriously and always took the mick out of him. (laughs) Um, But then his sister called me and offered me a job and I was 17, 18 and I just went and did it. And it was casting and I stayed doing it. (laughs) I did toy with the idea of like producing and directing, but I eventually came to love this side of things and even now I think the reason maybe that my approach is so different is because I don't care who anyone is because I just I haven't grown up in that world of knowing who people are or Mm. watch films as as a child I read a lot of books and so my imagination and character development has always come from reading a lot that's so interesting that's such a good because you end up putting people's faces in there. When you read a book, it could be anyone, you you know, there's only slight descriptions. And I suppose sometimes there's this, you've always seen the same faces on screen because they're kind of like imprinted our mind because of, you know, cinema can often be quite repetitive and you've seen one person do this role. It's, oh, well, they'd be great for this one. It doesn't allow a lot of, I suppose, uh, it can be quite narrow-minded, got blinkers on rather than allowing your mind to go anywhere to pick anyone. Yeah, and everyone's always quite... um surprised when I say like I don't watch that much TV I don't I watch films I go to the theatre but I'm not a complete cinephile so I don't sit there and you know I don't always know who everybody is and I quite like that Mm. because I'm willing to give anyone a chance 
any actors listening to this now will be feeling very good uh, about what you've just said. <laughs> They're like, okay, well get, let me get her details. Um, so <laughs> you get signed on by Dom. Yeah. What's, what's, what's the next step? Then I assume you meet Hong. So I met Hong when I met Dom and he was absolutely delightful, just beautiful and charming and, you know, lovely. I watched his short film and thought it was good. And he really wanted Ben Wishaw. And I remember to this day what happened next. So I <laughs> cupcakes in um, the guys at Hamilton Hotel. I mean, we've known each other, guys and gals. We've known each other. I don't know, I guess, since we were all 21-ish. So I took in cupcakes and a printed copy of the script and gave it to Christian Hodel's assistant. I was like, oh, I've got this script. And I don't know how or why they read it because Hong was, you know, a first-time director. Nothing was stacked in our favour. I wasn't anyone of importance at the time. Not that I am now, but, you know, I just... I thought that I could just bribe them with cupcakes in the script. And I think it worked because Alex Cook then, I think, emailed me and said, you know, they quite like it. Can they see Hong Short? Maybe weren't that wild on Hong Short. But we somehow got Ben and Hong to meet and the rest was history. So is that his agent? That's his agent. Yeah, exactly. Oh, so what you're saying is always deliver scripts with cupcakes. Always deliver scripts of cupcakes. <laughs> oh, this is what I brought. I have those. But I didn't know, did I? It's actually really hard to, you know, cook in someone else's kitchen. Check you out. Listen, when you learn to cook as good as me, then you'll understand. So what's for dinner tonight? I thought we could start off mm-hmm. with coriander king prawns, scented with long jing tea. Fancy. Yeah. Followed by? Ginger pork stir-fry with a sesame dressing, Richard style. Nice. And dessert? Creme brulee. From a tub? Organic. Fair trade for your range. Wow. Can't wait. I suppose, you know, you've got the set of the meeting with Hong, but are you involved at all to kind of speak to him and get an idea of who would be good to build this cast out from um, that? Before we went out to Ben, we did like a list of all the usuals and it was just... For Hong, he was just like, I can't think of it being anyone other than Ben Wishaw. And I was just like, look, that's great. I remember Ben, I think he'd either was on Bond or was moving from Bond to something else that was really high budget. And I just said, you know, maybe there's this window and it can work, but maybe not. Mm. And to be honest, I definitely didn't think Ben was going to say yes. No way. I still remember standing outside the Soho Theatre when Christian called and crying in an alley because I just thought I, I'd never personally had one of those calls where you offer someone something and they say yes <laughs> <laughs> I love that I still have that feeling you know whenever we offer someone something now and they say yes I'm like yes. yeah yeah I even casting well. directors can face rejection <laughs> that is my life 99% of the time I'm getting rejected because you know I'm offering Daniel Craig you know, a two-day part in a TV show. No. Hey, sometimes people like to do a two-day job. Easy. Yeah, I'm in I and out. <laughs> but I just, I've always had this attitude of like, the worst anyone can do is say no or laugh me off the phone or think I'm ridiculous. But mm. so what? No shame in my game. I love it. So when you said you had a list, was that list just for, the, for his role or was it a list of people you had an idea for to build out the cast? 
that was just for his role. Um, I think from memory, Richard Madden was on there. I can't remember who else. I'd have to look it up. But there were about 30 names on it, 30 or 35. And I've still got it. I keep everything like that. Um, And then we had to find Andrew's part. So Andrew Lung, we had to find somebody who could speak Mandarin. And boy, that was tough. And then our interpreter, Naomi Yang, who's gone on to, I've cast her in Wolf recently. Um, she's amazing. She was working, I think this is right. I think she was working for NSPCC on their phones at the time. And we put out an open call with the uh, Yellow Earth Theatre Company. And she responded to that and she came to an open casting. Oh, wow. Did she want to be an actor or was this kind of like a part-time thing? Was this kind of, this role kind of set her up for the future? The role definitely set her up. I think she'd never been to drama school as far as I know, but off the back of Lilting, she got an agent and has worked solidly since, I think. Maybe she had a few months of being quite quiet, but she's amazing. And it's really nice to have seen her progress and just get this confidence. Mm. Um, and it's nice for it to have gone full circle. So yeah, we just cast her in this Paul Abbott TV show that I did called Wolf and um, she was amazing. I think sometimes when, you know, the relationships was in the industry, you often kind of find yourself going back to people that you've enjoyed working with. Has that been a case for you as well? Like since Little Thing, it's like, well, I know this person, I know they're good. I'll bring them back. Kind of, you have long time collaborators maybe. Yeah, definitely. You know, with people like Anya Taylor-Joy, whenever I'm lucky enough to get her, that that's definitely a circular feeling. Um, working with people like Dominic Buchanan again, when we did The End of the Fucking World, it's just, it's lovely to work with people who have been there, you know, since the beginning. I think in Lilting, I mean, if obviously June is going to be the kind of second biggest part in it, key really. And it's just outstanding to me that you got uh, Cheng Pei Pei who was like iconic in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. That was insane. I remember doing the negotiations with her agent and that was when I realised I really didn't know what I was doing. So what does that involve? What does that involve the negotiations? Oh my goodness, it was everything. It was whether it was a SAG contract and we didn't have money to pay SAG because it was a tiny, I think the budget was like £150,000. And then when she came to the UK, I think she'd hurt her hip or broken her leg. And so there was one scene where she was supposed to dance and none of us knew that she had broken her leg because we didn't see her. I think it was a massive learning curve for us all. Her agent was Canadian. And so obviously, you know, at the time I didn't have money to be doing these long calls to Canadian. (laughs) Everything was on email, but then it was just never really thorough. And even down to like the financials, I remember when I had to tell her that it was basically like national minimum wage. And my hand was like shaking as I sent the email because I was just like, oh God, we sent her the script, we booked her in. And now I'm going to have to tell her there's basically pittance to pay. Oh God. Because <laughs> <laughs> she's like a legend of Chinese cinema. Yeah, she's also, I mean, back in the day, she's like a babe with a blade, wasn't she? She was yeah. kind of hardcore. And it was it was just impossible trying to. Um, I think the good thing was that Hong just had every bit of faith. I was a bit more kind of like, "Are you sure we're going to do this without?" But we auditioned a few actresses in in the UK, but obviously it, it's so niche, hmm. such a small pool, and we needed somebody who could speak Mandarin. That was the biggest. Hmm. 
most important thing to have. What is on then your to-do list? What was on your to-do list of things to do? Because again, you know, I know that you get the people, but like, what does that, what does that all kind of entail? You know, you mentioned doing contracts and fees. I mean, in, in, I suppose in the order of doing it, what were the things that kind of your, your, your I suppose the things that you had to light, lay out for yourself to kind of achieve as you got closer to production? Um, just making sure that everybody was free for the, the dates. And we had such a, small window with Ben Wishaw that everyone had to be available for really specific dates. The part that Peter Bowles ended up playing was just impossible to cast. It was really hard to find an actor of that kind of stature and weight to mm. come and do this with no money. More for, I mean, it's a small cast. I think there's only maybe six or seven people. So it mm. was just kind of going in order of size of the role, but then making sure that we had those Mandarin speakers. But the whole process, I think it maybe took six months. Wow. Like as in pre-production, production and post-production and get it out or just casting? Just the casting. Wow. And and you were doing it on your own? You didn't have an assistant or you were just kind of on your laptop? Like, I mean, were you working from home? Yeah, just working from home. Me on my laptop, didn't have an office line. I don't even think I had a proper email. I think I was using like my old school, like <laughs> iCloud account. <laughs> and yeah, everything on my mobile which is crazy because now that's, you know, exactly what I'm doing again, but <laughs> got a proper email account this time. You said earlier, kind of like faking it till you make it. I mean, at this point, did you, you know, what were, what did you feel kind of confident about? You know, the fact is you did it, you got to help get together this amazing cast. I mean, there must have been times when you were like, I know exactly what I'm doing. I think I'm really good at voicing my opinion. <laughs> And um, I, I did five. I was trying to work this out the other day because I really want to go back to uni. Well, I want to go to uni. I haven't been. So I, I think I did five A-levels, accountancy, media, law, business and English. Yeah, I did five A-levels. And so I'm quite good at the contract side of things. Yeah, I just I think it was just having the belief in your, in, in oneself. Like I I don't do anything particularly different now to what I did then. Except now I just know that I can do it. Hi, everybody. My name's Helen. And I'm Kobe. And we're from Flixwatcher, a podcast in the strip media family. We are a movie podcast and we review films that are just on Netflix in the UK. So if you've ever struggled to find a film on Netflix to watch, we're the podcast for you. We have guests on from other podcasts, big and small, just like these guys that you listen to now. They choose the films and we rate them and discuss them with our unique scoring system. You can find Flixwatcher on any podcast app by searching Flixwatcher. That's F-L-I-X Watcher. And if you want more information about any of the other podcasts in the Strip Media family, just visit www.strips.media to find out more. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. 
PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So did you have to do any kind of like, I mean, you know, we talk about what chemistry tests, but obviously, you know, there's moments between Richard and Kai, so Ben and Andrew Long, Ben and Cheng Pei, Pei, even, you know, getting more than Christian, as you said, Naomi and uh, Yang, Peter Bowles. Like, did you have any moments where they could meet beforehand? And is that part of your role facilitating that as well? In case people don't get get on or it, or it doesn't look good on. <laughs> there just wasn't that kind of budget or schedule. Ben and Andrew met, but maybe only for a few days before they started shooting. Mm. I can't imagine anyone not getting on with Ben. <laughs> <laughs> He's Paddington. How can you not get on with Ben? <laughs> Where did it for you feel like, oh, I'm so glad we got these people together? Because obviously you're able to be on set to watch it kind of happen. Were there moments where you're seeing stuff like that, saying, oh, God, this is such good casting. I'm so good. (laughs) The the day that I went to set was the day that they were in the flat making the bacon with the chopsticks, which I think is one of the most beautiful scenes in the film. It is. And I think I must have been pregnant because I had really bad sickness. And so I remember watching the bacon and being like, oh, God, I'm going to be sick. But also this is so beautiful. (laughs) And also that was one of the first times that I'd been on set in in that way. I think the only time that I'd been on set before was when I went to Prometheus, which was obviously a completely different experience. That was that was insane. Yeah, um, I, I can imagine that. Very different movies. <laughs> but, but completely different get up. And mm. it was so intimate and so nice watching everyone because they really had to hustle. There was no money. So it was like you weren't stuck in a car and chauffeured to set. I think I got the train to Brixton. <laughs> was there anyone you had in mind, you know, things that go, I don't know, people that you wanted, couldn't get, or even like the disagreements you had about who should be in the roles. And I suppose you said you're very opinionated. What were the moments that you got your opinion heard? To be honest, I don't really think that we had any on that because there were so few people who could play those parts. Like Kai, it was Andrew Lung. I think you know, we really, it wasn't like some other bits and pieces that I cast where you're, there's so many people that it could be. We were all, we all just felt it. We had that. And we were all in the room, like when we cast Naomi, when we cast Andrew, that was off the back of auditions. So we just kind of hung and I would look at each other and just kind of smile. (laughs) (laughs) And we just, we'd know there wasn't anything to really disagree on. 
before we chatted, I was reading a um, Hollywood Reporter roundtable with actors roundtable. And I think uh, they were discussing auditioning and they, they, I think it was, I think might've been Nick Cage who says, or oh, they just, you know, sat there on their phone. And then Andrew Garfield was like eating almonds. Now, I don't know if that's a gross uh, stereotype <laughs> on unfair assessment of casting directors, but how are you carrying yourself? Like, and I suppose even now, like, how do you, carry yourself in those in the audition situations what are you looking for and you know are you taking notes obviously you've got the camera up but you know what kind of things were you looking for then I've been in so many different kind of audition scenarios I've been I do a lot of commercials and I've been in commercial auditions where directors sit there and rate people out of 10 obviously this doesn't happen anymore but it definitely did you know people would see it you'd have a director sat there drawing like six out of ten next to someone's face wow and I've just always had the attitude of the best thing I can do is be the glue in this situation of like try and relax everyone try and make everyone feel at ease and I remember once doing an audition for a commercial and I was on my laptop and the actress turned around to me and was like how can you tell me what to do if you're not even engaging and I just thought oh it's a commercial she doesn't need and from that moment, I was like, you're so right. That's so rude. It's respectful. I would never do that again. And so I've tried never to be sat there eating sushi. <laughs> <laughs> but normally I'll relax someone by finding something on them that I like. Normally we bond over shoes, trainers, smells, what they've just eaten, where they've just been on holiday. I like to find like a common, common ground. Mm. Talk absolute nonsense for about 10 minutes. And then go <laughs> Is that, I suppose, is that what you kind of did on Lilting? It's kind of put them at ease, especially when you've got someone like Naomi Yang who's never acted before. Yeah, I think with Naomi, it was like a speed date situation as well because she had to speak in Mandarin. So obviously I'm just sat there like, I don't know. I don't, I... <laughs> <laughs> and her and Hong were talking. And so it was, that was lovely. But we were, it, that was so far at the beginning that I think that I had like a dodgy old camera on a tripod that didn't work. <laughs> just by nature, everyone would have felt relaxed because they would have thought she doesn't know what she's doing (laughs) (laughs) I'm more professional than this person who is judging me (laughs) who trips up as she walks into a room I'm so clumsy but I but I think part of that as well is a bit of an act on my front of just trying to you know be self-deprecating and try not to make them feel intimidated yeah I mean I'm the least intimidating person but someone the other day I auditioned a young actor and he he must have been about six foot five and um I always walk actors out of the room because I think it gives me a chance to kind of whisper to that you know be like that was really good or you know mm. I just don't like the idea of an actor leaving a room with myself and the director and producer sat inside and thinking that as soon as that door shuts we're going to be like well blah, blah 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 so I'll always walk an actor out and um this actor said to me oh you really give off tall people energy. It's like, but you're tiny. <laughs> and I remember thinking, yeah, well, thanks, I guess. <laughs> they had their first row yesterday. What happened? Oh, the usual. Stubbornness. Men. <laughs> what did Jun do? Alan points out a contradiction in something Jun had said, and then she got all defensive and started to criticise him. Inconsistencies in him. It's so petty. I would never do something like that. <laughs> I'm not sure how it escalated so quickly. She said he touches her too much. <laughs> That's not funny. Alan was really embarrassed. 
Well, my presence just made it worse for him. <laughs> Come on. I think also with this, because it is bilingual, one of the things we think about when it comes to films in another language, when there's subtitles, it's understanding through an actor's performance, even when they're speaking another language, what you're getting from their emotional state. And I suppose for you, is that a really interesting experience for you to kind of, you know, as you said, while Hong and Naomi were talking, well, Kai, like uh, Andrew, when talking with Hong, kind of seeing something else in the performance that actually didn't have to focus on as much on line delivery, but the other things that come with it. I, I just absolutely love people in every form. And so often I will, if I'm on the tube, I'm walking, I just stare at people. And I think everyone thinks I'm a bit bizarre, but I just think there's so much beauty in the way that people carry themselves and the differences. And I love, love working on films that cross different cultures and because I just learned so much. I remember when I was working on Lilting, just even knowing the difference between Mandarin and Cantonese and, you know, different dialects and Hong taught me so much. Working with him as a director, what's that relationship mean to you? And I suppose what kind of expectation did you then have in a way for your next feature film that you were going to work on? Because obviously that is a very close thing that you work up together, you know, it's obviously essential to the film, what you do as obviously what the director does, but kind of having that collaborative feel, have you, you know, did that kind of set a high standard for what was to come? Well, interestingly, I, I did a Zoom today about possibly working on another film. And I said to them that I'm, I'm used to collaborative directors. So the times that I've worked on projects and it hasn't worked out has always been when I've had no access to the director. And, and with the producer, we become a family and everything that I've worked on that I've hated or been fired off of or quit has always been because we haven't had that familial essence of like being able to WhatsApp someone at 10 o'clock at night and say, oh God, I just found this really amazing person. I don't know if we've spoken about when I got fired off of a very big TV project that shall remain nameless over the summer. <laughs> and I just remember my agent saying to me, like, this isn't for you, don't do it. And I was like, no, it's blah, blah, blah. I can't not do it. It would be the biggest thing in my career. And actually she was right. It was just, I had no access to the director. It was all so formal, so kind of procedural that I think having those early experiences with people like Hong and Jonathan Entwistle and Robert Eggers, where it is so collaborative, you're talking about directors who are real auteurs and really, really care about what they're putting on screen. And so often if I don't have that, I find myself a bit lost. I mean, it was Hong's first feature film as well. So you were kind of learning it both at the same time. Yeah. And I think, and Dom had done Give Me the Loot, so it was probably the most experienced, but we all just, we were a family and we used to meet up for dinner. You know, we still, I haven't seen Hong in a while, but we still would. That's the kind of testament to our working relationship. We, we became friends. Hmm. So what were some of your kind of memories from that whole experience that I suppose maybe not even to do with what your role, but just things, because I can imagine... On a, as, as you've explained, a set like that where it's not got a lot of money, you're kind of on a deadline, things could go wrong. What were the kind of fun and the kind of dramas that you had to, that you can remember, I suppose? 
I think all the highs and all the fun was anytime anyone would say yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, you know, with Morvan's part, she was the first person that we offered to. I think that's true. From memory, that's true. But Peter Bowles' part, that was the hardest part to cast and just being, you know, weeks away from shooting and thinking, God, what are we going to do? And I remember being quite intimidated by the kind of film London gang and finding that all a bit intense because I guess I didn't really understand who who called the shots, mm. whether it was Hong or I just hadn't really had, because I was so used to, when I was working for someone, we the, the jobs that we were working on were massive studio films. So it was weird. I could never understand. I was like, oh, this is like no money. Why does anyone care who's in it? It should just be whoever we want. Mm. Um, so yeah, I've since learned doesn't always work like that. Yeah, because I suppose the UK film industry, there's not, you know, it's not like the US. The avenues for financing are not always available, you know, getting grants and stuff like that. So you may often feel beholden to whoever's putting the money in. Yeah, yeah. And I remember getting like my residual check, I think once it got sold to BBC or something and just being like, wow, this is, (laughs) I know I'd see the day. (laughs) So then what were the, that was the worst then having to deal with uh, financial backers. Yeah, that was the worst. Other than that, I don't, you know, there are jobs that I distinctly remember having a really hard time. I don't, I don't remember that on Lilting at all. I just remember it being really great. And then going to see it was just incredible. Where did it premiere? Very good question. I think it was during the BFI. London Film Festival. I think so. It won the Cinematography Award at the Sundance Film Festival. Yeah, it won Sundance and then it came. And so I wasn't there for that. It's all a bit of a blur because I just had a baby at that point. <laughs> <laughs> all the reviews coming out of it were amazing. That must have been so thrilling and so rewarding just to know that, you know, everyone, you know, it's an on- I think as much as there's leads, but it did feel, you know, there's a kind of the- theatre company ensemble kind of group so to get that feedback and know that you did your job effectively, obviously they did the performances, sure. <laughs> we'll give them that. Um, <laughs> um, but, you know, you, the fact that you've wrangled them together, that must be so amazing to have that sort of feedback for your first film because not everyone has that luxury. And I think it spoiled me because I went from lilting to doing, you know, there are only a few films on my IMDb that I'm a bit, you know, regretful of doing, but it, it just set me up for kind of, I thought it would be like that for everything. I thought that everything I, you know, everything would get really good reviews. And I still <laughs> got a poster in my hallway at home. And I look at it every time I go down the stairs. It's great. So you should. Looking back, like are there things that you kind of kept on that you brought from that, you know, learning curves, things that you've learned doing your first film, um, just getting that out of the way, you know, looking back on it, what's uh, what's been the lasting impression? I maybe then with lilting, I didn't I didn't do it because it was a film that was offered to me at a point where I didn't do it just to you know say that I was casting a film. I think I would have always waited for the right thing to come around, and I think that's something that I still stay true to. The things that I regret on my um on my IMDb, it, it, there's maybe two jobs that I can think of that I did for money after having kids, but everything else I um, really loved and Mm -hmm. do still love. And I think that that, you know, Lilting having such a good script as, you know, one of the first films that I worked on, 
has just been incredible because I've never lowered my quality. Well, I hope I haven't, you know, in, in just the taste of projects that I want to work on, I always like to do things that are quite varied. Absolutely. And you've done so much stuff. I, I for one, cannot, as you know, I cannot wait for the Northman. <laughs> uh, I love that long lasting collaboration. I hope you're kind of, you know, there's, there's Scorsese and DiCaprio, but then there's Eggers and Cochrane. <laughs> He's stuck. He's stuck. He's you're that's it. It's a bond. You're married now. Your work met your work husband and wife. Carmel, thank you so much for chatting to me. It's been such a joy. It's always good looking back because it always kind of reminds you where you where you came from and where you are now. And you should be very proud of it's yourself. Also, it's nice. It's nice at the beginning of a year where you're all like I woke up this morning thinking what am I doing with my life I'm such an underachiever and then just to have a moment to go back and think oh actually everything's going to be (laughs) absolutely positive reflections into 2022 Carmel Cochran thank you so much welcome to First Film Club you're officially a member of our gang always thank you that was Carmel Cochran casting director of Lilting which you can rent or buy on most digital platforms and at home entertainment retailers. Next time on The First Film Club, we're joined by writer-director Laura Wandell, who will be discussing her feature debut, this year's critically acclaimed Playground. Thank you for listening to The First Film Club podcast. Please like, subscribe, share, and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at first underscore film club to keep up with the show and hear about our latest film screening events. This is a stripped media podcast series written, produced and hosted by Hannah Flint and Natalie Louise. Edited by Ben Williams with music composed by The Last Skeptic. You just heard a stripped media production. 